Live. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast, brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and the generous donations of Jared Williams, Kevin Malone, Donald Weller, Sean Kumar, Darren Hampton, Andy Bethel, B. Witzel, and Balaam's Blasters. Well, greetings and salutations, and um, you know what? We're back. Episode number one hundred two of the episode of the Order sixty six podcast. We're out of practice. You know why? Because Mister Phil, as 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 the only co-host of tonight's show, because Chris has left us high and dry. Mm. We are drastically out of practice because we have been unable to broadcast for the last I don't know how many episodes with actual sound during the show. I know, right? Yeah, I know. And 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 so that actually kind of threw me off my game there for a second. Anyway, I'm GM Dave, and, and welcome to the Temple of Insanity that is the Order 66 podcast, episode 102. And uh, this is, what, July the 10th, 2017. And we've got a great show in store for you tonight with a special guest who needs no yes, introduction. And there's the reason why we have, uh, where we are broadcasting on actually July the 11th, which is Tuesday, oh, and not our usual Sunday night. And that is because our guest works on Sunday nights, but he's able to join us for tonight. That is FFG uh, writer and uh, D20 Radio's own Keith Kappel. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, man. How are Getting you? Getting by, sir. Getting by. How are you? Uh, living the dream every day, man. I'm, uh, you know, working. Books keep coming out, and uh, it's always exciting. I know, and, uh, I know, and we have some news about those books coming. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And the one we're here to talk about tonight is honestly uh, one, probably one of my favorite things I've written for FFG to date. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about that. Um, Dave, you want to get us rolling so that uh, we can get there as soon as, as soon as possible? Dude, yes, absolutely. I think we can probably handle that. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. Good lord, have I missed these beds. You haven't been able to hear them. And I I tell you, I damn near forgot to fire that one off. I was about to go straight into the featured podcast of this week. And I was like, oh, wait, we have a bed. <laughs> well, Dave, what is the featured podcast of the week? Ah, well, thank you, Phil, for asking this is the Dice for Brains podcast. Indeed. They just... What the heck was that? I have no idea. Hmm. That's really bizarre, you know? It's killing me. It's absolutely hmm. killing me. Ustream is not supposed to broadcast over the top of a broadcaster. That's, That's what just happened. Oh my god. 
Yeah, so I, you know, I have no idea. <clears throat> Maybe I'm just doing it wrong. I don't know. But anyway, you guys can drink out in Radio Land. We're not gonna, we're not gonna uh, do that one. Anyway, the Dice for Brains podcast is back with a special DFB listener request show. This is Dice for Brains podcast, of course. Listener request called the Hintero Hustle Part D. And this, of course, is live play. So. Their group has a chance encounter with an elusive target, Blue Lynx and C2M8 seek to understand how Spade Pawn 2 slipped their grasp, and they have some perceived evidence of the Force, so C2M8 adjusts his success criteria protocols and proceeds with the mission. So, this is cool because it's a crossover special event with the Redemption podcast. So it's it's kind of two podcasts put together. So it's really cool. You guys check it out. Of course, you can find this and many other great podcasts at www.d20radio.com. We've got a lot of Fantasy Flight Games news to talk about, actually. <laughs> uh, last week, it was announced the next, and I believe it is actually the last uh, career source book for the Age of Rebellion cycle, Ciphers and Masks, a source book for spies. Um, the article mostly talked a lot about uh, the, the various like infiltration emissions and, and roles that partake of the rebellion in, in the galaxy at this time. Uh, there really wasn't a heck of a lot revealed as far as uh, as far as crunch goes, but we did learn about an, about one of the specs, the interrogator spec, which is a medicine-based specialization. Looking forward to that. Um, also, looking forward to more articles that will inevitably come in the few, in the uh, oncoming months. Uh, it's going to be released sometime in quarter four, 2017, and we're really looking forward to this. Um, but announced today, how timely! <laughs> they knew that we were having a show, and it was very nice of them to do it. It was very nice of them to do it, because also releasing in quarter four is Dawn of Rebellion. The game's first era sourcebook. First of its kind that focuses on the time prior to the Battle of Yavin, encapsulated by the Rebels cartoon and the movie Rogue One. Now, is this an indication that Fantasy Flight Games has plans for other eras? Clone Wars and Force Awaken eras can't be too far behind, can they? And, you know, they could go all the way back to Knights of the Old Republic. They could, they could. They could do whatever they want, right? True enough. I my gut feeling though, based on what I see, tells me that the, the next two books would probably the next book is, has to be the Clone Wars, has to be, and because I don't think there's enough material to do a Force Awakens or or a I don't know what you what era you call that the, the uh, First Order era or the Resistance era. I'm not yeah, sure what era you call that. Um, but I don't think there's enough material in there. I don't think there will be enough material, at least until we get closer to whatever the ninth movie is going to be called. But who knows? Would they would they go back and do an Old Republic one? I would love it if they did an Old Republic book. I would Absolutely. love to work on an Old Republic book. That would be fun. Yeah. It'd be hilarious. Well, be Keith Cappell has just confirmed that there is no Old Republic <laughs> book currently in production. <laughs> now, uh, Keith, did you work on Dawn of Rebellion? I did. I was fortunate enough to uh, uh, get the the surprise email to work on it, and uh, um, it was awesome to work on, man. Because as you've stated, it, it covers Rebels and Rogue One, and uh, um, I'm pretty sure at the time I was working on it, there was very little 
Rogue One information out there. So that Makes was a, a, a real fun project to work on. Uh, I can't wait to see uh, what the final product looks like. Nor us, nor us. Um, so yeah, um, look for that. Both those books, quarter four, uh, 2017. Um, last we, uh, last show episode, we talked about uh, the announcement that the Fantasy Flight Games is putting out Genesis, which is their narrative dice system, uh, basically Star Wars with the Star Wars serial numbers filed off. Uh, we've just finally been confirmed that the Genesis beta will be at Gen Con. Anyone lucky enough to be going to Gen Con 50 this year, Fantasy Flight Games recently posted several sessions of modules for their new Genesis system. The module is called The Haunted City, and it's a fantasy game that takes place in their Runebound setting. It uses the Genesis beta rules, but likely will get a lot of news out of Gen Con from folks who play in those modules. Um, I'm excited because it's, it's a fantasy game, so we'll see how how character we might be able to see how like characters are created. We'll definitely see how magic works. I can't imagine them having a fantasy session setting in Runebound without at least a couple magic users in it. And uh, anyone who's going, you may even get me as your GM. Oh boy! You or never me. know. Or I'll key. be down there. I'll be down there GMing as well. You never know. You never know. You never, never, never know. Yeah, unfortunately, I had to bow out again because uh, ah, Gen Con is uh, is happening right on the same weekend that I have to move Taylor back into college, and so yeah, you could almost start another uh, podcast called uh, David Bows Out and just never have any episodes. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. We can. This would be the uh, <laughs> this would be the second episode of such. But uh, you know, I mean, FFG still said, "Hey, no problem. We understand." At least I let them know like a month in advance, so that way they can get somebody else. But yeah, but now I'm sad because I get no GM Dave. I know. I know. I was I was about to say the same thing. I I, I will miss being able to hang out with you and peruse around uh, uh, downtown Indianapolis with you. Hey, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Maybe next year. Yeah. There's something else, you know. What's that? Um, you know little thing did you already talk about gen con and uh and genesis yeah we did oh okay sorry i was i'm trying to fix this dang thing it won't let me uh, it won't let me in the chat room because um it won't let me and if it does let me in then it start it tries to broadcast over me so i'm not entirely sure what the heck's going on so i'm sorry chad if i can't see you or hear you or respond to you it's because you stream is being a dork so it is quite all right Keith and I are in chat. Keith and I got this. Well, there you go. All right. Well, then, with all that being said, you guys make sure to stay in the know by uh, following D20 Radio on uh, Facebook. We've got uh, the D20 Radio Facebook group. We've got an Order 66 podcast page. And, of course, we uh, stream and tweet all the time about about our podcast and about our network. And you can follow us on Twitter. At D20 Radio is where you can do that. Or individually at Darth GM, GM Dave. GM Chris and what are you KR Capel? I forgot who you are on Twitter. Uh, oh, on Twitter at KR Capel. Yeah. That's what I thought, indeed. There and you so go. you guys tweet and take a look at Patreon as well. We're going to have a maybe we might have an announcement about how we are going to a full video podcast very very soon. We said we would with with UStream. I'm sorry, with Patreon. 
when we got to a certain level, Patreon has finally allowed us to do it. We finally got accepted into their program, so we're going to take a look at making that happen. And the good news is, I've done some research, and I think you're going to see all three hosts on the screen at the same time, which is cool. That would be hilarious. Yeah. So instead of just seeing Chris's ugly mug, then you're just, you know, or mine or whatever, since, you know. I figure you so guys can do you guys so please much. have like a Brady Bunch style, like looking at each other from boxes sort of intro video. Bum, 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 bum. Here's the story that. of a lovely podcast. Really yes, we could. We could try. I don't know. You guys can tell me exactly what's going on in the chat room. If they're telling me I'm being stupid, but all right. That be, uh, <laughs> no, they're, they're fine. <laughs> so far, so good. All right. So what do you so say? Good. We get into the meat of the show. What do you say? Let's. All right. Mr. GM Phil, what are we calling the meat of this show? Today's meat is titled Mentor Mastery with Keith Cappell. Ah, yes. So, guys, throughout the Star Wars saga, we've been introduced to young heroes who discover their potential and strength in the Force. In every one of these cases, these protagonists require training, and in almost every case, that training comes in the form of a mentor, of an older, more experienced instructor who's able to teach and guide the new student in the ways of the Force. When Force and Destiny was released in 2015... One of the options that starting groups could choose as their starting resource was a mentor. So the brief description gave the outline for such a teacher, someone who could train those characters in the ways of the Force. Nothing more was really written about this option until release of Disciples of Harmony, in which we have now been given a comparatively wealth of information and guidance on how to create introduce and run mentors in force and destiny so it's a topic worthy of devoting a whole a whole show to so we're gonna do that and we know we could not do this show justice without bringing in the writer who wrote this portion of the book and so therefore again we welcome back master of the mentor rules himself mr keith Cappell. thanks i am the writer who wrote you are the writer who wrote you wrote words, you nouns and verbs, and a pronoun here and there. Indeed. All right, guys, so set aside your holocrons, Gamer Nation. Sit down those obscure scrolls and tomes because no amount of book learning can match being taught by the teacher himself. It's time to get mentored on Mentors tonight on the Order 66 podcast. I see what you did there. You like that? Yeah. Touch your mic. Clever fellow. Clever fellow. Ah, that clever web of words that you weave. I'm telling you, man. GM Chris inspires me. What can I say? Yeah, but, you know, GM Chris is alliterate, alliteration happy. You, oh, he is. You were not as alliterative. So. Eh, true, true. He, I said he inspired me. I didn't want to copy him. Completely. Ah, yes, yes. Yeah, the inspiration goes forward. Absolutely. So... Gamer Nation, if you've got a copy of Disciples of Harmony, pop it open to page 109. Um, mm, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm going to correct you there, Phil. Yeah. Yep, it's no, oh, it's 68. 68. 
page 109 is in Force and Destiny, and that is the, that's the mentor rules that were in existence prior to your wonderful rules, Mr. Capel. Um, and it's really just a basic mechanical benefit. It says, mechanically, when a character purchases a basic level of a Force power, it costs 5 XP less. This only applies after initial character creation. And it gives a brief write-up thematically that talks about how the mentor could be a living person or a force ghost, but in either case, they do not travel with the group. And that was just kind of it. That's all we really got on mentors. And to be frank, when you compare it to what you get from a holocron or the freedom that you get from a starship, it didn't have the sexy, you know? It's like, okay, I've got this guy, this, 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 this person, oh, the elder force user, who's not able to adventure with me, occasionally teaches me Force things. I get a decent discount if I buy new Force powers, but realistically, how many Force powers am, are, are, is a character going to buy? Maybe, probably two, maybe three. So the adventure rules were kind of there, but they, they really weren't the most appealing one. A lot, of folks, a lot of folks that I heard tended to go for the holocron or the ship. But then Fantasy Flight Games... What, Keith? They said expand on the mentor rules, or was that... Uh, or... I mean, they definitely asked me to do it, but I feel like I got on a list somehow with Sam where um, if they don't like, uh, or if they feel a starting resource isn't being chosen, just give it to Keith and make him make it seem worthwhile. Because uh, 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 a starting like base of operations was one from uh, the other game lines as a starting resource that... Mm -hmm. Uh, I've expanded on at least once now as well. Yep. So, yep. Uh, yeah, they they just emailed me and they were like, "You're gonna do." I did the growth motivation in this book as well in chapter nice. one, but like the bulk of my work was like, "Here's like eight thousand words. Talk about mentors a lot and tell people how to use them and make them." And that was kind of the extent I want to say of the of the guidance for what to do. So yeah, I just did what you just did for everyone, which was go to page 109 and see what exactly it is they do. And and then I decided I needed to find ways to make that a lot more sexy and appealing for uh, groups to select. Expanded out to 8,000 words. Yeah, yeah. From like, what, two paragraphs and page yeah. one? <laughs> yeah, so there was, there was a lot. Uh, but it was nice because I could kind of uh, – uh, a lot of these jobs, like I know exactly what I have to write for each page, and there's very – short uh, uh, sort of uh, word counts for each section. So it's real controlled. And for this, it was uh, uh, really wide open where it was literally just here's 8,000 words, cover these two or three items and good luck to you. So it was nice to sort of approach it and uh, uh, lay it out that Uta way man. myself. You the man. See, there it goes again. Stay out of the chat, Dave. I am staying out of the chat from now on. Weird. So, and so you got the order to expand the mentor rules. Why put it in Disciples of Harmony? Well, I think it's a natural fit there with uh, you have the teaching spec, right? Um, so, and and really, like the force is supposed to be uh, used for knowledge and defense, never for attack. And knowledge and defense is right up uh, the counselor's sort of alley, as it were. So, uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was a good fit. Um, Obviously, that's that's a maybe a slightly better question for uh, Sam. You guys have Sam in a week or two, right? That's right. Uh, next episode, we're going to be diving into the main book with uh, with Sam. Right. So, I mean, he that's could probably tell you uh, 
far more about the why it ended up here um, or why it ended up with me. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a pretty good fit, especially when uh, uh, the rest of chapter three has what uh, uh, more knowledgey sort of uh, uh, rules, right? John Dunn's uh, alternate knowledge check uh, handling rules, right? So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a natural fit for uh, versus say like Warrior or something like that. I could see it in the Mystic book, but no, it definitely fits in here. I feel as well. So let's get into it. You've got uh, quite a layout here from page sixty-eight on in uh, Disciples of Harmony. Um, I guess the first place to start is the iconic mentors. Uh, you've given us three specific types of mentors, and then sort of a fourth, which can <laughs> sort of be a modifier for the others. Um, what's the first one we got, Dave? Uh, the first one would be the trainer. This is your classic hands-on student-teacher relationship. So this is uh, what you see on screen typically presented as a master and a Padawan. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Now, actually, before we get into these a little bit further, Keith, um, where did you get the inspiration for these uh, iconic mentor roles? Did you, ha- did you have a sort of a general idea, or did you sort of look at the mentors that were in the in uh, in the the media and the canon already, and say, and how, how what's their teaching style? How are they influencing their students? So, interestingly enough, or strangely enough. Um, I didn't, uh, well, I know a lot about, you know, Star Wars, naturally. I, I, this is sort of uh, something, I, a topic I didn't know that much about. So my research actually started with a lot of uh, uh, self-help books uh, and just internet articles about uh, business mentoring relationships. And hmm. how, so I looked at how many different uh, blog writers uh, broke down different mentoring roles in the business world. And I started there. And, and from there, I was able to sort of uh, it helped me categorize things and sort of separate things. And then uh, um, I could take that information and apply it to the Star Wars role and world and uh, um, see how that sort of fits in. So, yeah, it started in a really weird, like, not Jedi place. But uh, 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 the basic idea was was to have varying degrees of uh, uh, involvement, uh, direct involvement with the students, the, the, the PCs, and uh, um, their sort of scene to scene or encounter to encounter actions. So I wanted there to be this gradual sort of pulling away. Makes sense. Makes sense. And really, you got it from you got the idea from uh, from business mentoring. Yeah, yeah, I know it's weird. That's cool. That's cool. So yeah, you got the trainer, which is a hands-on master in Padawan, and the example you give in the book is Qui Gon Jinn teaching Obi Wan Kenobi during their mission to Naboo and uh, Phantom Menace. And uh, that's also a similar relationship when Obi-Wan starts to train Anakin. It's, it's a direct relationship. But eventually, as we see in the Clone Wars, Obi-Wan starts to take on a more advisory role when Anakin starts to train a Padawan of his own. And that brings us to the second one, which is the consultant, a more hands-off teaching style. This mentor is someone who advises in specific areas or lessons. It's, as I mentioned, it's the natural evolution of the trainer relationship once the student has gained a degree of independence. And this is really where we see a lot of the sort of off-camera, well, not off-camera, but, you know, not fo- uh, um, kind of ancillary Jedi, the, the, the ones in the background and the periphery of, of the movies. Uh, Jocasta New, um, oh, man, I can't, I can't believe I can't remember the name of the, uh, of the lightsaber master in the temple. Oh, uh, 
ooh, you're going to stump me too. <laughs> but even uh, Dexter Jetster would kind of be an advisory, a consultant mentor, I would say. Because um, he's someone that Obi-Wan just goes to for specific sorts of uh, information. Yeah, I mean, if you're not thinking about a, a specific a force-trained mentor and just a, a mentor in general, absolutely that fits. Yeah, I mean, uh, Dexter definitely has... Uh, age and experience in the in the galaxy on Obi Wan, right? So right. when when he goes to Obi Wan, they're they're really not quite equals. They're they're definitely in my mind anyway. Seems to be sort of a um, a, 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 a something of a mentoring dynamic, even if it's more in like the underworld or areas where Obi Wan doesn't necessarily have the most experience in the room. Truth, truth. It's Snoke and Kylo. <laughs> um. Yeah. At that point, sure. probably. What's so the third one, Dave? Then we've got the Challenger. This is uh, going to appear with the least frequency, and this is a relationship where the mentor really pushes the student with cryptic messages and riddles and really gets them to look introspectively and prods them to take that look within themselves and find the answer on what to do with the problems at hand. Yeah, we see a lot of that in the classic trilogy. Sure. I, I think the idea here was really to uh, um, where the trainer is is going to kind of order the, the mentee around a little bit, um, sure. and the consultant is going to provide probably much more clear information. The challenger sort of just uh, uh, clarifies maybe the choices, but doesn't make any choices for the PCs at all. It's rare. I mean, Yoda's the one that immediately leaps to mind as the challenger, and you even mentioned, like, the ghost of Obi-Wan Kenobi was a challenger in, uh, in Empire and Jedi. But I also think Bendu from the Rebels cartoon is a challenger. Oh, absolutely, 100%. 100%. He, he, again, he doesn't make any choices for Kanan. He just sort of uh, uh, clarifies which directions he can go or, or forces him to look at something maybe a little bit differently. It gives him uh, additional perspective, but again, without sort of making the choice for him. Love that. And there's sort of a fourth option, but as I said, the fourth option is one that can kind of color in the trainer, the consultant, or the challenger, and that's the mention of evil mentors. Sure. It's not, it's not really a role as much as an attitude or angle for this mentor, the evil mentor can be any of the above roles. They can obviously be they can be obviously evil, but a necessary one for the character's force training, or they could be working in secret with goals that actually run counter to the character's own. Yeah, Palpatine. And we get lots of pals. lots of examples of this. Oh yeah. You know, Emperor Palpatine is a, a, a evil challenger. That's what that's the one that just pops into mind immediately, right? You can learn these yep. things, but not from a Jedi. Nope. Um, Vader tried to convince Skywalker to join him, as you write. Uh, Darth Maul and Ezra in the Rebels cartoon. Totally. Um, I think that the key difference between the, the evil mentors and the other mentors is that uh, um, evil ones are going to withhold a certain amount of information, and they create this sort of uh, dependency uh, whereas mentors are constantly trying to enable their apprentices to, to be more independent, the, the dark ones are going to try to make them more dependent on uh, themselves. So 
so that they have a measure of control over them, right? Yeah. You know, I... Complete non sequitur. Okay. I don't believe I got... The, I cannot believe I got the date wrong because it's 7-Eleven. It's free Slurpee Day today. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure how that, uh, you know, how that escaped me. But, uh, yeah, thank you for correcting that off the top of the show. So the next natural progression then is... Keith, you gave us a really well-written and fleshed-out method for creating iconic mentors for any game. So let's talk about mentor creation. Uh, you've done a real good job of breaking them down, not only into their mechanical stats, but also their their narrative motivations as well, right? So, um, Phil, you want to talk to us a little bit about mentor history? Uh, sure. Um, so let's talk about the history, Keith. Uh, you give us a, a nice uh, 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 write-up on things to consider when coming up with the backstories for the mentor. Um, you've got, you know, who they were trained by, who the mentor was trained by initially. Uh, were they Jedi, the Baron Dose Sages, the Gant Feinsman, the Night Sisters, the Sith? Um, quite a quite a varied list there, um, and um, only about half of those are what we consider canon. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the the other sex aside, it was important to me, uh, when I think of this game, I still think of it as, the, I know it's Genesis now, but the narrative dice system, certainly at the time I was writing this. So to me, the, the um, uh, giving the GM, empowering the GM to tell stories takes precedence over uh, crunch for me. Yeah. So when I was doing this, I didn't want to get too hung up on skill ranks and uh, uh, force powers and whatever uh, uh, that sort of crunchy stuff was going to be. I knew I needed it in there, but I wanted to make sure I spent a lot of time um, helping GMs create something that's going to uh, drive story or or provide a, a real satisfying sort of like subplot to an overall campaign with the mentor. And uh, um, certainly giving them uh, some sort of history to draw upon and like, sort of thread in between during uh, uh, adventures was an important part of that. And because this game takes place when it does, um, you know, new era book announcement aside, yeah. um, it's real easy to, to sort of say, well, what are the, the, the key, you know, big pillar, big uh, benchmark points for uh, um, any Jedi who, or any force user who survived, like who's probably at least 10 to 20 years older than a PC. And so the Clone Wars comes up right away yep. and in uh, uh, the purge after the Clone Wars. Right. So uh, uh, and then, of course, where they might have uh, received their training. So I tried to make it real uh, intuitive and simple to sort of just hit these major bullet points. And the GM doesn't have to necessarily develop all of this beforehand. They certainly could. Uh, but it, it could just give them uh, a real broad framework to work within. But at least it gives them something on day one of using that mentor at the table. Yeah, and it flows quite nicely, too. I mean, you go right from mentor training, you know, who were they trained by, were they trained Jedi, elsewhere, self-taught, uh, right into the Clone Wars, because it was a war that encapsulated the galaxy, and anyone who was trained in the Force had to have been affected by it somehow. Yep. And then at the end of the Clone Wars, you've got the Purge, where the Empire went kill-happy on any Force user, especially the Jedi, but any force user out there was was a, a, was a potential threat, or in some cases a potential ally. Sure. So, 
and I just like that flow there. It, it, it one goes to the other, and I, and, and it, because of the way it's written, and because you give us some nice bullet points to it, um, it, it's, it's quickly, it's quick and easy to just, you know, grab a couple and say, okay, let's put this combo together, and this should be fine. So, I'm glad you nice say that combo. because that was actually, uh, um, I probably spent a lot more time on that than the rest of the mentor section, just because uh, formatting it was so tricky. Because if you go through it. In each paragraph, I might ask like 11 questions. And there was an early version where like each question was a bullet instead of sort of grouping them like I did. So I'm, I'm glad you find that easy to use. Yeah, I mean, and, and you you just grab, the, you grab the, the keyword from the bullet points and then look at the paragraph and there are some additional questions in there that can flesh it out. But like you said, you don't need to have it fleshed all out immediately. You can have it just a general idea and run from there. Yeah, that was definitely 100% the idea. Uh, I, I didn't. I don't want to create like homework for a GM, but I wanted something that they can pluck a few things from really fast, and then if they need to, they could flip to the page and read one paragraph, and maybe that gets ideas going if they feel stuck at the table. Nice. So let's dive into the cult of personality, if you will, uh, Keith. Sure. Let's. <clears throat> so every single teacher, you know, has a unique style or, or a way that they want to teach their students, and some are going to be more structured. Some are going to give a little bit more fluidity or, you know, be a little bit more free form. Uh, so you've got on page 71, table 3-1. Uh, again, this is Disciples of Harmony. Uh, this gives us a good list of styles to choose from. So tell us, Mr. Kappel, how and what did you, where did you draw your motivation for coming up with these styles? Uh, you know, I don't, I, I think I just plucked that right out of the ether. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't think that necessarily came out of research or anything like that. I was just thinking about it for a while. And uh, um, I know that while I was doing them, one thing I wanted to, uh, I didn't want any of the styles to necessarily seem superior to another. I wanted each to sort of have a sentence in there that showed why this is a, uh, um, sort of a, a good way to be taught and also what, what there's a slight drawback to being taught this way. So I wanted them all to, to none. I didn't want any of them to seem like this is the perfect style of teaching. I just wanted to, to show differences. Okay. So, you know, one of the other things, and this is in table three, two is that mentors will also typically have complications or aspects of their personality or physical restrictions that highlight why they are mentors and not active participants like uh for example obi-wan he well was killed by darth vader so he's a glowy mm. <laughs> right but you know <clears throat> you know when when you think about these complications on uh, use the table on three two to begin to craft what that mentor is going to look like and and then of course finally you've got to wrap it up with morality or emotional strength and weakness, you know, that helps guide their outlook on life in the force. So I think you did a really good job of talking about the backstory and talking about their style and their teaching style. And then what really influences that teaching style? You know, where did that, where did that come from? Where, where did this, you know, if they have a physical restriction, why, how does that manifest itself? If they have morality or a weakness, you know, how does that come into it? So I think there's a really good way to really round out what that mentor looks like. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, 
table three to the mentor complications table, I think was a real important element to, to give GMs like a lever, a balance to, to help them fight against maybe a PC overuse of the mentor as a resource. I wanted to make sure that the GM had some tools to, uh, um, to, to lean on to be like, mm, nope, the mentor's not willing or able to do that for you. You have to go do it. Um, and I think they also uh, um, just, they add a complication, right? And stories are boring unless there's complications to be overcome. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really important for uh, these mentor characters to be somewhat flawed uh, beings. So uh, um, I think that that gives the PCs uh, uh, a more interesting NPC to interact with. And I think it also gives PCs uh, 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 someone to root for, an NPC to root for, to to hope they can help the mentor overcome whatever limitations they might have. Very cool. Very cool. I like the whole backstory, man. I like the whole formula, the whole flow that you've got from uh, from um, uh, mentor history all the way to mentor morality. Yeah. And I also like that you really employ that you employed the the mechanic that it was introduced force and destiny, the emotional strength and weakness, because that's that's an important thing not to ignore. Right, and it, it honestly it seemed like something I can uh, I could add to the mix to flex flesh out like personality mm-hmm. uh, with with using very little of my my word count. So <laughs> that was a big part of it. The replacement would have been like basically creating almost the same similar sort of table and mechanic and reprinting right. it. That didn't make sense. It, it was just much more economical to be like ah pick an emotional strength and weakness that that seems to do good for PCs. Why not? Absolutely. And it's Absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's not a time-consuming element of generation, I don't think, either. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then the other important thing to me, which I wish I had more word count to sort of explicitly state, is to make uh, connections between these sort of mentoring styles and complications and that history stuff you did earlier. So, like, as you're picking this list of things, like, I would hope most GMs' mind would start making connections, right, between, like... Yeah oh, well, I picked this thing and I didn't really think of this before, but I can see how he would, his history element A would really relate to this, him coming to this teaching style or this complication. So um, that was important too. Like if you got someone who was a conscientious objector during the Clone Wars and you look at complications, some things that fit could be remote, uh, could be um, angry, psychologically wounded, you know, there could be a lot of things that could fit for major complications and uh, how they survived the purge captured, for instance, that calls out to me as like afraid or, or psychologically wounded, you know, or even physically wounded if they were captured and tortured. Sure. But then you, you can even go to like unlikely pairings, right? Cause I, I always, I always feel like the more unlikely the pairing is like the more interesting a place that could get you outside of the cliche. So uh, um, yeah, I think matching, matching any of that stuff together, um, the weirder, the better, because that might take you somewhere, you know, somewhere unexpected and golden. So, Sure. Mm. Now, as much as you don't like the crunch, or, or I didn't, <laughs> let me rephrase that, let me rephrase that. As much as you wanted to devote the, the majority of this, of this article to, um, to the narrative, uh, you did give us a, a nice column of, of crunch, and how to uh, yeah. stat up the mentor NPC. Absolutely. I mean, it was it was definitely part of the requirement of, of what this section had to be from day one. And obviously, if you have, like, one of the trainers, especially, but even the consultant to a degree, you're, you, 
you might need to be able to use them in the field, be it in a combat encounter or a social encounter. Absolutely. So uh, um, it had to it had to get done there. Um, I love the the droid artwork. The it's Hugh, oh. it's Hugh Ang. I can't oh. pronounce his name at all, but uh, the another non force sensitive mentor, right? Oh yeah, uh, no, I saw him on, as soon as I saw him on that page. I'm like, oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, um, yeah, I, I, now granted, the the stat blocks are uh, sort of designed for uh, for sensitive mentors, but uh, uh, with some tweaking or just some hand waving, you could just say these are the force powers they they know about rather than their force powers they can actually use. Sure, um, sure. I ran out of words to sort of create a separate process for non-force sensitive guys, but that that seems like the exception rather than what people gravitate toward. So yeah, and, and honestly, GMs could just just look up a normal stat block and use that. Right. You know, go find and, a nemesis for someone and just use those stats. I was definitely uh, um, influenced by. I looked a lot at the uh, uh, Inquisitor creation rules. Yeah, um, you mentioned that, that idea of doing suites of powers and and just making it quick. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I'm not sure who did those Inquisitor rules, but they were pretty brilliant. So, <clears throat> well, of course, if, if it ain't broke. Yeah, yeah. Good adage to follow there. So let's talk a little bit about mentors in play. Let's. Um, you know, they can make a great subplot, you know, even make um, an entire adventure path for a group, potentially. They can be resources for the PCs to tap into, not just with the mechanical benefits, but also as a powerful ally in social or combat encounters. Of course, you be careful and be judicious as a GM of how often you introduce this, but... You know, they likely have knowledge beyond what the PCs typically would know. They can guide them to places they may not have considered to overcome challenges. What that really means, GMs, is that is a way to control your plot a little bit under the guise of a mentor, right? So it doesn't quite seem as railroading when the mentor bestows this wonderful nugget of wisdom that pushes the plot in a certain direction. So there's nothing wrong with doing that. Right. And so, you know, again, it's 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 important to limit their role and their potential in the game, their guiding hand. They're not a crutch. Right. This is not a, hey, you know, one eight hundred. I need help. That's not what it's for. I don't think I at least keep. No, you're yeah, right. Yeah. 100%. You know, I mean, this this page and a half uh, that you're looking at, the using a mentor, it's sort of like my uh, my GM toolbox for here's ways to to use this at your table to to help you tell stories and uh, you know, it's a very powerful tool. So here's how to make sure it doesn't get out of control. Ah, yes. And well, you know what you do is you talk about the heroic cycle. Uh, Yes. And that's the next part. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you you talk about this classic heroic cycle uh, during this, this write up and, and you discuss the arc of, of meeting the mentor, being taught by the mentor and then having, the mentor removed from the equation. After their removal, of course, the student is forced to stand on their own. Eventually, they would become a mentor to another character, be it a PC or an NPC. And this is another thing, right? You have a mentor, and then as a GM, if you pull that mentor out, you can introduce an NPC character that you are then introducing as a mentee for the character that had a mentor. I mean, this is great, right? Right, absolutely. uh, uh, Dave, didn't you have that? Back in Chris's original yes, saga game? Yes, I did. I had I had the girl who was... And this is the character that I had that was flirting with the dark side. In fact, his 
um, he had an addiction to the dark side, right? So <laughs> he kept fighting this addiction, and he would redeem himself, and then he'd fall, and then redeem himself, and it was this constant, it was this constant struggle to finally say, you know, are you going to go light, or are you going to go dark? And finally, the the watershed moment was when he killed. He told her to basically kill the person that, that and, and that pushed her full dark side and she she did not redeem from that and so then that that was a that was a character arc moment for my guy i think that was salura at the time if i'm not mistaken i don't remember if that was the character or not but then he full tilt redeemed himself because he realized he was totally off base it's not not uncommon or not unlike the aa or the 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 drug addict or uh, alcoholic that finally hits bottom, right? After flirting with the addiction for so long, he finally hit bottom. And it was a great story arc for that character. Yeah, I mean, it was really important for me to do a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, classic uh, heroic cycle stuff, right? Of which The Mentor is one of those classic uh, uh, Jungian or Joseph Campbell sort of archetypes. Yeah. So I wanted to explain, like, this is how... I mean, I'm talking a lot about Star Wars in this section, but I'm also just talking about uh, heroic journey stuff that applies to almost all, uh, uh, you know, adventure fiction. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, the idea with the mentor is like they, they're this great thing. They help the hero grow. But then uh, at a certain point, they have to generally go away um, for the hero to stand on their own and grow. And then, uh, uh, yeah, they can take on another apprentice uh, or the hero can grow and become a mentor. Uh, or alternately they could do like Luke and, you know, you lose men one mentor, you, you level up to the, the next guy. Right. So you go from old Ben to Yoda. Yes. So, uh, uh, that's an option too. And then you, you're sort of in this loop of, uh, um, meeting mentors, growing in strength and then, leaving those mentors behind. So do you see, uh, going back for a second, do you guys, would you guys say that Yoda kind of transcends multiple roles for Luke as he, as he goes through episodes um, five and six that where he, he kind of comes into me as an, as a consultant and then becomes a challenger. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say uh, if you really like went in to pick it apart scene by scene and interaction by interaction, like all the major characters play most of the roles throughout like i mean you could look at obi-wan and anakin throughout the course of the clone wars cartoon and you could find moments of challenger or moments of consultant uh and moments of trainer but you know i i was just trying to create uh more broad categories where you could say generally this is his deal but mm -hmm. i think all the mentors can can uh, at times uh the various roles absolutely but I agree. Yes. Nice. I also like that you give us mentor encounters, um, reasons to use the mentors and, and kind of like, you know, how to run basically a teaching class or something like that. Um, I really love the training exercises part because it really reminds me of the force chapter from the old West End Games book, uh, Galaxy Book 9, Fragments from the Rim. I literally like stole the Muntar stones out of there. I think I thought you did. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. So, yeah, it was definitely heavily inspired by by that sort of stuff. Uh, what I wanted was like, I didn't quite want modular encounters, which are really long. So I was thinking like, what are these like micro encounters that I could do that sure. um, that that would be great as either uh, session openers or maybe even session closures. 
where the mentor could sort of uh, uh, talk with with a PC about things they might have done in their last adventure. Um, a lot of them interact with conflict in sort of interesting ways. Um, so, uh, yeah, they were a lot of fun to do, though. And I try to keep it simple where it's just uh, most of them, I think, are just little three check encounters and that's it. Sure. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, those were a, a lot of fun to uh, to play with. I, I just looked through that those entire two pages and I'm like, oh, I'm using these. <laughs> Looking forward to that, especially the Jedi Trial stuff. Um, sure. Now, I like that the Jedi Trials were introduced back in Nexus of Power. I wrote that as well, I believe. I, I wondered about that. I wondered about that. <laughs> I like that it's revisited here in, in, in brief, and yet even though it's briefly described, it, it still gives us a lot more that we can use. Sure. I, I like that there's the recommendation for them not to count until the student has achieved a force rating of two and earned at least 100 XP in force powers or specializations from force and destiny careers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, it just it made sort of sense to me. I, I didn't want anybody. Uh, I mean, this isn't really a bean counting game anyway. No, no. Um, so I didn't want people to get too hung up on like, ooh, you know, I have three of five boxes checked for the trials. Right. Um, and I feel like uh, uh, if I at least tell them, hey, just ignore it for at least 100 XP, that would at least help them uh, uh, stay out of that rut. And and uh, really, like, what does Anakin say? I am ready to – or Obi-Wan says it, right? I am ready to take the trials, yeah. which suggests that, like, well, you haven't – you know, we haven't started that yet. So that's yeah. not a thing that happens immediately as your training begins. And, that, and uh, that's that's kind of like that, that. It honestly reminds me of like you must be this at least this high to, to <laughs> ride this ride. ride. <laughs> you must be at least this high to start the Jedi trials. But that doesn't mean that you ha- that you immediately started upon reaching that milestone. No, because there's nothing that says that. Okay, yeah, you've you've got a force rating of two, and you've now got 100 XP in in you know special in talents from like I don't know Starfighter Ace or something. But your mentor may still say. Nah, you're not ready yet. Right, totally. And uh, uh, even so, like in this era, it's not like there's a Jedi Council to formally decide anything or to like arbitrate a decision. It's just you and your mentor, right? And yeah. uh, and you. So basically, a PC and a GM are uh, deciding when it's time and what's counting and what's not. And you know, those are discussions they can kind of build together a little bit. But uh, uh, yeah, I tried to give. Uh, 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 some more examples. I know, like you said, I did a Nexus of Power as well, although those were all very strictly tied to uh, the Virgences. Yeah, um, they were. So I think between that section and this, though, working in tandem, uh, uh, you get uh, a few ways to have varied uh, some some variants in the trials, especially if you have, I mean, if you have a, a party of four or five Jedi PCs that all want to be taking the trials. Um, you don't necessarily want them all to face the same thing, right? They want to be a, feel a little bit tailored. So I feel like the more options GMs have, the better. Yes, yeah, a trial for every occasion. Yeah. And I forgot about the Virgences. I actually, I, I need to go back and reread Nexus of Power. I forgot about those. I got to introduce some some Virgences in my uh, in my new campaign. Gotta have some Virgins. Need a dark side cave, man. Gotta have a dark side <laughs> cave. <Got it>. So. <laughs> Keith, what's your opinion on um, the effect of passing the trials? Is there anything? So I, I mean, mean like mechanically, but you know, right. maybe, I mean, maybe mechanically, not. there's nothing 
written. Although sure. mechanically, I would be happy to like that session give give them like minus ten conflict or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, or before they resolve, or just move them ten points up the morality scale, right? Like it's an achievement, and it's related to them becoming a Jedi Knight, which is you know a defender of of peace and and uh, uh, defender of the weak across the galaxy. So I think there's something sure. inherently morally good about achieving that milestone. So I might do something like that, but otherwise, like uh, um, you know, what does it mean? It it, it should mean at least uh, uh, as it pertains to the mentor chapter that it's probably time for uh, the mentor to to shift from one category to another or, or pull back a little bit. Um, it's probably time for the PCs to stand on their own somewhat. Makes sense. I like it. Yeah, me too. Uh, last, last item you give us is you give us an alternate look at, uh, a, a look at alternate force traditions. I can't um, even believe this made the final cut of the book. I was so excited. <laughs> I know, right? I, I, uh, sprung this idea on Sam because it's like we at this point, especially uh, um, I was maybe privy to a little bit more than than the rest of the listeners. But uh, uh, all these Force and Destiny career books started coming out, and I'm like, so where's where's the Force traditions though? Where's where's the you know the Night Sisters talent spectry or whatever? Like it was kind of what I had expected before the the book started coming out, and and that's sure. not the way they went with it, which is you know totally fine. And I was like, oh, man, I know. I know my people want to see these Force traditions translated into the game somehow. So when I got this session, I was like, there's got to be like a weird backdoor way I could sort of uh, include alternate Force traditions. And so I told Sam about it. I think it was a little late in the game on the job. And I was just like, look, I'm just going to do them. They're clearly not vital to be in the mentor chapter. But if you have room, I promise this will probably be like the thing people talk about the most in this book because I know – I, I know my fellow gamers, and I know they, they, they want this for Star Wars. They want to know what it means to be from one of these other Force traditions. So, um, yeah, I fought a little bit to get it in there. Sam was luckily agreeable. I figured that was because he just planned on cutting it anyway. But, like, bam, <laughs> it, it made it. It made it into the final cut. So Yeah, man, I want to see it. it. Knock yourself out. Look at the page. He, he turns around. He turns around and... His FFG buddies, like, yeah, look at old Capel. Look what he's going to go and do. <laughs> <laughs> and then he gets it. It's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He turned the tables on him. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, uh, um, was very, very, very happy. Especially the Gan Finesman. Like some of the ones I picked, I know oh. my team, uh, uh, like Gan Finesman or the Baron Dos Ages, but they're both like super favorites of mine. Yeah, we, and needed, then, the, uh, we needed the Gan Finesman in there. I, well, right. And I was also kind of looking at what are their species for, right? Um, and then uh, uh, the Dagon Masters are canon. They're from the Clone Wars, so like that was like automatic inclusion. And then you can't not do Sith Lords because I feel like that's something that people will frequently uh, would use, right, at the table. Right. right. Um, and they, they all play with – a lot of them play with conflict uh, in different ways. So I feel like conflict is the great unexplored – mechanic of force and destiny that i know that talent stuff don't seem to want to fiddle with so i was like screw it man i'm gonna fiddle with them like crazy in these mentor rules because no one else seems to be messing with it that much I, and i'll I, see what i, I love, can do. so i love what you did with the conflict and, and these these drawbacks and i also love how the fact that you could buy off these drawbacks too yeah i figured like uh, um i had done uh, a couple species in the past i did uh 
the Zexto in uh, Stay on Target. Yep. Or not Zexto, that's not the one I'm looking for. Uh, it's right book, wrong species. Dracellians, which are like the prune face guys. Yep. So I'd done them, and they had this primitive quality uh, that I gave them. And the idea was yeah. like, yeah, they, they can get out in the galaxy, and they could buy that negative off if they want to uh, later. So it was kind of like uh, uh, that's what inspired the same idea here, where it's like just because you grew up in that tradition, like Asajj Ventress we know now uh, – probably grew up to a degree in, in the night sister uh, 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 growing up learning to use the force as one of the night sisters. Cause she seems familiar with that, but uh, uh, she's clearly also received training from Dooku. Right. So uh, she doesn't seem held back by the night sister way of doing things. So it's made sense to me that you could sort of uh, uh, buy it off and get rid of the drawback, but it's going to cost you XP. And the main advantage to these is that they give you an XP discount. Right. So, if you're too eager to buy it off, it feels like it's it's more of a, a, a zero-sum game mechanically for you. Sure. Hmm. What do you say, guys? Do you want to create one on the fly here? I think that'd be cool. Yes. All right. So let's take some of these rules that we've talked about. Let's, let's keep them in the top of our mind and bring them to bear. So let's take a moment... And Keith, if you would not mind helping us out, let's go ahead and create mind. a mentor right here. All right. I've got a pad of paper here. I've got a pen and I've got dice if necessary, if we need to roll them at all. So, All right. See, let's, and let's, send this uh, after, after we're done here, send this over to Ian and that way he can then he can uh, write it up officially for us as a part of our... Oh, how fun. Yeah, Damn he's, right, I will. Yeah, you know, because he's, he's doing our character conversions going back through all the uh, all of the uh, Isn't That Special episodes. Oh. Because, uh, yeah, somebody in the chat decided to say, hey, how come you guys never post your builds? Well, there you go. We had like 72 people volunteers tribute too, to to transcribe all those, and we gave it to Ian, and I was thinking to myself, you know what? We could have given one episode to each, each of those 72 people, and it would have been done already. Right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Anyway. Sorry. I get diverted again. I, right turn on a left turn track. So, it's your show, guy. Yeah. You know, uh, I think the, the point of for us to go through this is to really show you how easy the process is going to be and how quick you can create a unique and fleshed out mentor that can come into being and be a part of your campaign or one shot or whatever you decide to make him a part of. So uh, let's start with an assumption that the game is a mixed group with multiple characters that have force sensitivity. We, okay. All right. We'll also make an assumption that the game will take place in the rebellion era between the battle of Yavin and the battle of Hoth. So that's okay. be between episode four and five. Cool. Okay, so first up, iconic style. Do we want a trainer? Do we want a consultant? Or do we want a challenger? Well, the trainer seems to be the easiest one for me, but by the same token, I kind of you don't like, want to feel challenged. I kind of like the idea of 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 yeah. I kind of feel I kind of like the idea of having a consultant to kind of take it next level, you know, but. I don't know. What would say you there, Mr. GM Phil? Yeah, I kind of like the I, I like the consultant angle. I mean, challenger is challenger certainly could be fun, um, and and 
and, uh, and and something to to strive for. But you know, maybe the consultant could eventually become a challenger as sure. as the PCs evolve into their their force training. That's right. So let's start with the consultant. I'll say the nicest thing about the consultant is that uh, is it. As a GM, it's probably the easiest to incorporate into a game and not uh, feel that it starts taking over the game because they have a pretty defined like before the the adventure or like call me once during the adventure sort of role. Yeah. So uh, um, yeah, with the trainer, there there's a lot of uh, uh, worry about them destroying all the enemies in a combat encounter or something like that. So right. um, I certainly try to provide you guys with a. Uh, uh, ways to negate that or, or work with that, but the consultant's probably the easiest to work in. Sounds good. So the next question then is, do they have evil intentions or are they who they say they are? I think we should just roll a force die. And I don't, I don't even know if Phil should tell us until the very end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is mean. I love it. I love it. Uh, hang like, on we'll, a second. We'll, we'll learn if we were building a good guy or an evil mentor at the very end. Let's see what we got. Hang on a second. Let me roll that die. Sure. Okay. And the secret is, and, you know, maybe they're uh, uh, super evil because he rolled two blacks. I don't know. Super. Super green. Super. Super green. Green. All right. So let's move on to history. How did they receive their force training? I mean, do we want to go stereotypical Jedi or do we want to try one of the other traditions in the back? Uh Dude, I love the Gan Feinsman angle. I just don't know why. I, I don't know. Because awesome. <laughs> I love the Gan Feinsman. I got to even talk about their uh, uh, in the old Watsi books. There's a picture of a a Gan guy with like he's got a, a staff with like two prongs going off of it. Yeah, talk about that how picture. it's like like a divining rod is what I sort of interpreted that as, and I talk <laughs> about it a little bit in the Gan Feinsman write up. Is like their traditional weapon. Uh, yeah, man, let's make the Gan Feinsman. Sounds awesome. Do we want to make the this? Do we want to make the uh, teacher again? Yeah, I think. We, yeah, I think absolutely. We yes. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds good. And all right. So the Clone Wars are uh, how? How did they spend the Clone Wars? Were they Clone Wars veterans? Were they conscientious objectors? Or were they civilians? I feel like as a Gan Feinsman, they either uh, maybe they were. Uh, uh, some sort of mercenary or bounty hunter working for the separatists during the clone wars. That sounds interesting. Yeah. doesn't mean they can't be heroic, right? This is like, in fact, like the rebellion sort of sprung out of the separatist movement anyway. Right. So right. Uh, they're not there necessarily evil just because they worked with the separatists. They, like, they believed cool. that the Republic was corrupt. Right. Right. And it turns out it turned into the empire. And now a lot of people agree. Okay. okay so he's a happens. clone war veteran, but a mercenary. Yeah, maybe he was like a uh, like a bounty hunter that would hunt down Jedi for the uh, uh, for Count Dooku or something like that. That'd be cool. Take it, take it. Um, how did they survive the purge? Mm. What do you think, Dave? Uh, my, On my, the run, my, in hiding, resisting, were they captured? My thought is that he was hiding in plain sight. Oh, you know, um, maybe he was performing. You know, like as Keith said, maybe he was helping hunt down the Jedi. Maybe he was doing these covert actions as a as a bounty hunter and hiding his force sensitivity and had a change of heart. Obviously, 
seems to make perfect sense to or me. Or maybe, fact, maybe use such activities as a cover to locate students, right? Potentially, or if if uh, if uh, Phil rolled a black die, that's what gives him his evil slant. Ooh, absolutely, go. absolutely. Nice. All right, so let's uh, let's go to personality uh, and their mentoring style. Well, what do we know about the Gand as a people anyway? Like, this is probably the point where I would do like five hours of research on the Gand species, <laughs> but uh, uh, but we won't do that to your listeners. But I feel like they're they're like a weird, they're like very alien aliens, right? They're not just like blue skinned humans or something. Correct. It, they have like a real weird outlook on the world, and I feel like immediately that's going to make them sort of a. Uh, uh, Maybe either cryptic or detached. Yeah, the, I'm, 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 I'm being drawn to detached. You know, barely acknowledges the students, rarely communicates, and more than grunts. Despite such standoffishness, the detached mentors are astute and know just when to flood the students with new techniques. They alienate some students, but those who last are independent and confident in their skills. And I think it might be detached simply because it's a gand. It's so alien. Maybe, right. maybe uh, this this mentor isn't doing it purposefully. Maybe it's just you know this is my teaching style. Right. They don't even use like proper pronouns. Right. He would just be saying it's like uh, Arya Stark in freaking uh, Game of Thrones, where it's like a girl has no name. It's a Gan has no name. So until they accomplish something. Right. 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 Which perhaps this guy has. But uh, uh, yeah, man, I'm down. Cool. Cool. All right, so what's the complication, and how many complications do we want? Because you even say you could have multiple complications. Sure. Um, well, maybe, Dave, why don't you pick one, and then I'll think if, if maybe I want to pick another one. Well, um, you're going to laugh at me, but I don't have the book. <laughs> That's fine. What? That's fine. Yeah. Well, we have physically wounded, I know. strict, remote, no force connection, Angry, afraid, attached to something, uh, an addict, or psychologically wounded in some sort of bizarre way. I actually, you know what? I kind of am gravitating toward the psychologically wounded. Because, okay. again, that can make us go in either direction. Let me read what it says, and then why don't you expand on that idea? Uh, it says, traumatic events have broken this mentor men mentally. That's hard to say. Interrogation, years of isolation, the stress of living on the run, or narrow escapes from the Empire might have pushed the Mentor over the edge. This Mentor could teach the PCs much about the Force, but much of what the Mentor says is completely unintelligible gibberish. Or is it? <laughs> I can sort of... I can sort of see that with... Especially... That that actually meshes kind of well with the detached style. Sure. Okay, right, because again, it's like detached has this like communication barrier a little bit, Right. And, and this seems like it would just exacerbate that even more. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. All right, cool. Uh, let's see here. So, uh, uh, oh, uh, morality. We want to pick and, a morality? Um, I, I've actually got dice, so, and I know that there oh, are actually do it. tables. Just there you go. Let, Let the fates decide. Open to, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Uh, oh, here we go. All right, so I've got Force and Destiny opened. Uh, let's see what the D10 says. D10 says four, so that is he believes in a cause. Interesting. What is his specific cause? Huh. One, freedom. 
All sentient beings must have the opportunity to make their own decisions, good or ill, and the right to face consequences or receive that just rewards of their actions. Does that really fit, though? This is a motivation you're rolling here? I thought yeah, we were doing motivation. morality. Okay. Um, what did you come up with? The cause was what? The cause freedom? was freedom. I mean, uh, if he's a Gand, right, he believes maybe in the right for all beings to hunt all other beings. Like, uh, w w you know, I, I, I mean, it, it might not be freedom in the, in the sense that we know it, because... It's freedom in the Gan sense. Maybe he just believes in free uh, water divining rights for, for all. Uh, I don't know. You could always re-roll if you don't like yeah, it. Yeah, let me re-roll. Let me re-roll re the cause. Ooh. <laughs> cause. Stop the rebellion. Interesting. Ooh. Rebel Alliance is an organization of outlaws and malcontents who fight against their legitimate government. The character may not like the Empire, but he dislikes the Alliance more and wants to see it stopped. Uh, a believer in law and order, I suppose. As a bounty hunter, that could make sense. Maybe, sure. uh, he, he could be angry that the Rebellion is it's kind of picking up the pieces and, and continuing the fight at the, that the Separatists failed. Oh, sure, but it's doing it in like this weird... Like, the Separatists had a real movement, right? Like, they were like, we are separating from the Republic. We are forming That's our own government. Is. That's what it is. He's pissed at the Rebellion because the Rebellion wants to restore the Republic. Right. And, 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 the, uh, uh, and the Rebellion also uses these, like, sort of more terrorist-y tactics almost. You know what I mean? They're, they're not doing things properly. And, yeah, they want to bring the Republic back. And that was terrible. They're not, and in, they're like, not that, doing it. They're not doing it for freedom. They're not doing it to, to have a free galaxy. They're doing it to put the government institution that he originally rebelled against back into power. Sure. Yeah, I'm in. That makes perfect sense. Total sense. All right, so let's let's flip back and get his emotional strength and weakness. Uh, where is that? Do, 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 do. Oh, it's right here. Page 48. Yes, indeed. All right, percentile dice. Uh, 83. Oh, that, that fits too well. <laughs> emotional strength, justice. Emotional weakness, cruelty. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the dice gods, they flow together. Okay, so we've done most of the, the like, quote-unquote work, right? Yep. So now it's just a matter of assembling a stat block? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you've got um, the, the consultant, uh, the consultant right. stat block. It's pretty solid there. Um, when building a mentor, look at the mentor's skill suite. Half those skills are rank two. The other half are rank four. So what do we want for rank four on the consultant? Uh, probably this, uh, let me skills. Rank four. Certainly a couple of the knowledge skills, I would imagine. At least like two of them. Uh, probably knowledge underworld. Yeah. Or, or streetwise is an option there too, but, uh, yeah. Yep, streetwise. Underworld, uh, streetwise. That just makes sense. Um, I can see negotiation. He's dealing with negotiating for bounties quite a bit. And perception. Sure. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then the rest are at two. The rest are at two. Jams, select two skills not listed in the suite. These gives the mentor one rank each of these skills. Um, so the, for this week, uh, start uh, flipping probably through. Go ahead. I was about to say, probably he, he probably could either, he, since he's a finesman, he probably needs a way to get around the galaxy. Yeah. So, uh, like, 
astrogation and pilot space. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, though, though that's a skill. I mean, we're we're worried about talents now, right? No, we're still on skills. Oh, 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 oh. So like two skills not listed from the skill suite. Sweet, give them. Well, he needs he needs. I would say one weapon skill and definitely like pilot space, right? Yeah, true. Pilot yeah. space. Yeah. And then is he going to be a traditional gand with uh, his little forked uh, stick thing? And we're going to give him like a, a melee, or do we want to give him sort of rifle? Because I think he hunted, he, he hunted Jedi. Right. Give that sucker a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but they deflect rifles, right? But yeah, I mean, either way, it works 100. Uh, percent Well, looking looking at his sort of initial stat block, I think he, he's more of a range to dude. Okay. Range heavy. Oh yeah. Besides, he could still just take um, he could still take like slug thrower. <laughs> <laughs> You're not bouncing shots back at me. You're Fair incinerating or these like a grenade launcher or Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah. Whatever. There's options for him. No question. Uh, or her. In, in addition to the talents listed in the talent suite, GM can select additional five talents, ignoring tree prerequisites. That could take a while to figure out. Right. That that we'd want to probably flip through some books if we wanted yeah, to. Yeah. I I can we can flip through books after and uh, and have those up there. Sure. Um but I would I would assume maybe a couple of tracking type ones from uh, what is it Seeker isn't that uh, uh, Seek uh, Oh yeah no Seeker you're right you're right yeah 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 Any I would Seeker. yeah I'd imagine it'd probably be something in there something more outdoorsy to to fit in with that Feinsman theme that would probably be where I would start. Mm-hmm. So determine what force powers and upgrades a mentor possesses the. The mentor first gets all the basic force powers in the appropriate force power suite, then add the PC's total force rating. The GM can select a number of upgrades to the mentor equal to the party's combined force rating. So, you know, probably, uh, so he's got uh, Heal Harm, Influence, Misdirect, and Seek, which is perfect for a hunter. Sure. So, and uh, the Force C and Seek basic force powers are... Uh, uh, the ones that are affected by being a Gan Feinsman. So certainly... Uh, we'd want to add foresee to that. Um, w- would we want to remove something like, I don't know, heal harm just seems too handy. Maybe m- maybe pull influence and replace that with foresee. Oh, uh, well, oh, right. Well, no, yeah, we make... could do that. We could flip something or we could just ease, ease without it, I guess. Or just add foresee? Right. I mean, it's it's the GM. If, if we feel like I mean, heal harm. I could see flipping out. I could also see. True. Influ- I mean, influence is useful as well, but uh, uh, seek definitely we're keeping. But well, I could just see is- because that's what the the Feinsman do. I could see adding for seek or or replacing one of them. But you know, I leave that up to. No, nope. good point. Good point. I like that. All right. But otherwise, we got to determine how many uh, how many what the combined total force rating would be for our party, right? We said a mixed party. Yeah, mixed party. So figure figure if uh, half the party, average party four to six. Let's give it six, and figure half of them are Force and Destiny characters. Three so of them. Three of them. So he's got three upgrades. Yeah. Well, assuming they're they're all exactly Force rating one, right? Yeah. True. You, you get True. three upgrades, maybe a fourth, possibly. Yeah. But yeah, to the existing Force powers, we throw a few upgrades on there. Probably mostly with Seek, I would imagine. Probably. Probably. Foresee if we if we add that definitely get the uh, this foresee one that allows them to see specifics you know details or, or uh, I would say almost the combat one right that allows him to like oh, sure. uh, have better uh, uh, initiative 
and better uh, uh, some evasion, isn't there, with it as well? And these are just guidelines, man. You could you could right. always just say, okay, I want him to have this upgrade. I want him to have that upgrade, you know. And as the party grows in force rating and strength, you could always continue to build on your mentor. Yeah, it's not like he's stagnant. It's not like he's right. not learning anything new. Absolutely. Okay. So here we go. We've got, uh, and I've come up with the name, Sallow Last. Cool. Gand Feinsman. A consultant-style teacher. Uh, who received training from the Gan Feinsman back before the Clone Wars. He served in the Clone Wars as a Separatist mercenary bounty hunter, hunting down Jedi for the Separatist army. Um, when the Purge happened, he hid in plain sight. He was just another Gand, and while many of the galaxy had heard about the Jedi, not too many of them had heard about the Gan Feinsman to the point where they actually believed their mystical abilities were anything other than just hoopla and, and, and superstition. <laughs> Um, his mentoring style is detached, most likely because he was psychologically wounded by the, <laughs> the state of the galaxy after the Empire took over and after the rise of the Rebellion. He's upset with the Rebellion because while the Separatists fought to free the galaxy from what he saw was the corrupt uh, Republic, the Rebellion wants to put the Republic back in place, which goes against everything that he fought for. Um, his morality, based on because of the fact he was a Gand Feinsman, he, he, his emotional strength is justice, and his emotional weakness is cruelty. Uh, he's a great tracker, a great hunter, which is probably one of the reasons why he's not around too often. He could be just out hunting hunt on his own. Totally. So and we might even add the, uh, the remote um, complication if we wanted to, because it kind of fits with the theme. Could could, but also because he's a Gan Feinsman and he, because he sort of has that that mysticness, uh, that mystic training, he could appear when they need him to. Sure, sure. Just be like, "Whoa, you're here!" Yes. <laughs> yeah. But here. as I rolled, he does have evil intention. Uh -huh. oh, nice. nice. Um, he is helping these students, possibly to in hopes that they he can convince them that the rebellion is wrong, and to uh, and to continue to serve the uh, the the ideals of the separatists and bring down the empire and and more specifically sabotage the the rebellion from within, or he's teaching them so that he can get access to the rebellion and sa and and uh, perform some sabotage of his own. Nice. That's awesome. See, and with that, how long did that take? It's like fifteen minutes. Yeah. And we created a character from nothing. We did not plan any of this. And uh, uh, we've we've av avoided, like, cliché, right, of the cliché mentor. Yeah. And we have something completely Absolutely. unique and interesting. So that's those work even better than I thought. I'm not going to lie. See? <laughs> we, had, we had good results there. I'm, I'm very happy with the character. We did right. good. Well, Keith, um, I love these rules, man. And I'm, I'm so glad we were able to get you on to help us break them down for, for the Gamer Nation. And and to help putting together Sallow Last, I think sure. this could be a real fun character to introduce to some. To, it could some be games. a lasting character. Ah, oh, oh. see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> good times, good times. Right wow, on. Yes. All right, <clears throat> so uh, onward and upward with the show. He doesn't seem to take a hint. This guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. Ah, yes. 
Welcome again to Messages from the Edge, our regular show segment where we take time out to answer your game and rules questions about this system. And you can get us those questions by a number of ways. You can go to the forums and post there. You'll find a Messages from the Edge thread on the D20 Radio forums. You can also go to our Facebook page. Of course, you can post there. You can email us directly, GM Chris, GM Phil, GM Dave, all at d20radio.com. Or my preferred method now is go to the Facebook page and post it there on the Order 66 podcast Facebook page or group. And, of course, the other possibility there is you can call us, D20 Radio Hotline, 262-D20-RADIO, 262-320-7234. Leave us a message, and you'll probably get it played, because we don't get very many of those. No, we don't. We don't. And we love them when we get them. That's right. So this is a bit of a quandary. Usually I read the questions, but um, I don't know. Do you want to have Keith read the questions? Oh, my show notes didn't print that page. Oh, well, in that case, that's all right. Bad guess. Bad guess. Bad guess. Well, you you know, I mean, we didn't exactly prepare you for this. Yeah, they got posted kind of late, so... It's, bad, it's host, not, not, bad host, yeah, bad host. Bad host, bad Drink. Drink. <laughs> All right, so, you, um, I don't know, you want to give a shot on the first one? Um, yeah, no, I can, I can, I, I'll, I'll be, if you want, I can take the uh, answers, and if you want to read the questions, and, and we can All collaborate right. with the answers. That I can do. All right, that's... that's I good. did read them. I'm happy to also answer. Okay, absolutely, we will, we will... We will take your wisdom into our consideration, and we will add your distinctiveness to our own. I will mentor you in the ways of answering questions. <laughs> All right, so long-time non-listener, first-time poster, let's be be bros. Let's be bros. Let's be bros. That's what it is. Let's be be Ross. It could be, but I bet it's let's be bros. Probably. Says he loves in-character questions, so he writes it like this. Two Republic High Command subject new Jedi agents. My battalion is lucky enough to have been selected to henceforth be supported by five, five capable Jedi Knights in our struggle against the Separatist forces. As the quartermaster of the battalion, I am, however, worried with regards to how I should distribute our resources among these Jedi and our other troops. As you probably know, Jedi take up a lot of units, resources, armor, equipment, weapons, ships, and they do not seem to mind when they break or lose these resources That apparently is my job. So how am I, as a quartermaster, supposed to limit the access to these resources by the Jedi? Do I simply tell them, no more armor for you, my good knight? Or do you have some sort of reward system that I could use in this situation? Kind regards, quartermaster, bro. Mm. Mm. Um, He goes on to say, too long, didn't read... I will soon be running a campaign set in the Clone Wars era where the party as Jedi will be participating in the Clone Wars. I am, however, worried with how I reasonably could limit the players with regards to credits, armor, attachment, weapons, and equipment, as the Republic seems rather capable of supplying their troops. Should I just give them credits? How do I justify this? I'm afraid that my party will get their hands on too many resources and that will completely eliminate any progression with regards to equipment. This is good. The reason why I read that out is because I wanted to kind of get your your brains thinking on this. And Keith, I'm really interested in getting you because you were military. I was. That's true. And did the military give you everything you wanted and everything you needed when you needed it? <laughs> never, never. Certainly not in a timely fashion. You but, could put in what was known. I mean, I was in the Navy, but uh, you could put in what's known as a request chit if you think you need uh, 
some specific equipment or training and uh for the if, if you're even lucky enough to get it forwarded up the chain of command uh you know they'll get to it when they do but uh uh yeah, I, I wouldn't say this shouldn't honestly be much of a problem. I don't think most Jedi shouldn't want anything beyond their lightsaber and a utility belt, right? And and yeah. certainly they should get access to that, perhaps a starfighter or transport of some kind. Mm-hmm. But um, this is sort of like this question translates well into a, a, any Age of Rebellion game as well, where it's just like my players ask for stuff and when do I say no? Um you say no anytime you think it's going to break what you've prepared. Right. So, I mean, so, are you basically saying that the GM has a perfectly good right to couch this in the Jedi traditions to say, you guys are non-materialistic. What do you need all this crap for? Right. Certainly you don't keep it anyway. Yeah. If you if, if you did uh, justify, say, a very specific piece of equipment for a very specific sort of plan that you're that you're about to undertake... I mean, that's property of the Jedi Order, not property of PC number three. Or the so, Galactic Army of the Republic. Right. And, and just, you know, the Force help you if you break or lose that piece of equipment there, you should have to answer for that when you come back. Or, or at least uh, have a Quartermaster be very upset with you and uh, uh, not be so quick to loan you out the good stuff next time. Future things you get issued by the Quartermaster might come with setback dice immediately because... You know, you're getting the broken down, crusty version of something. Yeah, it's been re-engineered. Right, or with an inaccurate quality added on because it was just refurbished or something like that. Um, there was a character, actually, if you look on old content that me and my buddy Ryan Brooks, who's also written for The Line, um, did on the old Fandom Comics website, yeah. we built a uh, – um, there was like an EU Legends character that was like the quartermaster of the Jedi Order. <laughs> uh, during that time, and he was based on like Q from James Bond. We actually had a a unique piece of artwork that's like a tribute to the actor Desmond Llewellyn uh, from James Bond, like his novel about being Q's biography. Um, so if you should go check that out and read it, just because it's funny, it's like this eighty year old firebug, you know, guy. Now, that, pay uh, attention, uh, Master Kenobi. I'm only going to say this once. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, um, yeah, it, it's it's a write-up I did a million years ago before I started working professionally. Uh, but uh, uh, there's a character there you can check out that could actually fill this role for you in the Clone Wars if you haven't built your own NPC yet that has some... Uh, uh, he's got like a Wikipedia page. He's a real thing. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, man, just they, they get to say no. They get like, why would the Jedi Order have a concussion rifle? They don't, they don't need that. Yeah. If they have it, it's probably evidence to like put a bounty hunter in jail. You don't get to just take it. Um, yeah, exactly. this, is yeah, also I mean, a good, this is also a good situation where you can introduce the duty mechanic as a secondary mechanic to morality. Oh, absolutely. Sure. You don't get this because you don't have a duty rating to get it. Right. And as they complete missions for the Grand Army of the Republic, they increase their reputation and reliability with them and warrant additional resources allocated to them. You want one of the new Jedi fighters? I'm sorry. Master Kenobi's and Skywalker just took the last two. Uh, we have these old ones for you, though. Right. Here's the Delta Sevens. Enjoy. Yeah, exactly. So... What's I mean, that? You get, you get Commendation you know. rank four? Here's the eight of twos. <laughs> exactly. And that's a great way to handle stuff like that, you know. Uh, you know, Anakin got access to a freaking cloak, cloaking ship, experimental cloaking ship. Like, uh, uh, during the uh, Christophsis, was it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, like, he clearly has a very high duty rating because they're giving him crazy stuff. Really cool but, stuff, uh-huh. yeah. PCs yeah. aren't going to start there. They got to earn that. Right. All right, very well. 
uh, Let's Be Bros. Hope that helped you. Uh, next question comes to us from GM J Lady, who writes this. Hello, forums. I have a question about droids. Hello. Hello. What is the definition Hello. of a droid? What makes a droid different than a piece of tech or machinery? Is it sentience, size, mobility, a combination of these? The reason I'm asking is that I have an adept slicer and aspiring droid tech who wants to make a droid that helps him with his slicing checks. He described it as such. It will have a basic monotask chassis, an average mechanics check to build. It would look like a black box with an input-output connection. Kind of an internet modem. I will be programming it with labor directives, an easy computer's check, which would give it two ranks in any one general skill, in this case computers. Mm -hmm. I'm really struggling here to understand how this is a droid versus a piece of tech, and the difference would that would make uh that the difference that would make going forward. I'm not opposed to the idea, I just want to make sure I have guidelines in place so we don't end up with a droid army of small appliances. Which sounds awesome. <laughs> it does. I mean, so awesome. Yeah, it's the Internet of Things, right? right? Or or maybe that would be awesome, and the other thing I need to monitor is how hard it would be to find the parts, build, and program a device versus a droid. I would love to know your thoughts. I think our slicer could make some really interesting things here, but I'm wary of drowning in them. Thank you. Like a ah, Pied yes. Piper character with like an army of mouse droids behind it. That, that sounds amazing. But um, so the first thing I, I would tell this person, though, is to check out uh, the old Han Solo trilogy, which is a Legends trilogy of books. There is a character named Blue Max in this book, which is almost exactly what your uh, PC is talking about building here. It's a little slicing bot uh, that used to exist inside the chest of another droid called uh, uh, Bullocks. Uh, in, in those books. So there's like, there's an EU precedent for exactly what he wants to do. Huh. Now, if you're worried about it being overpowered, he's talking about having it assist with slicing checks, yeah. which means it's just going to throw him a blue on most computers checks, or he could leave it to make its own computers checks. Right. So that doesn't kind of feel game breaking. Yeah. That doesn't feel very game breaking to me. He also has to kind of go get it every time too. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it has its own uh, form of locomotion. Right. If it doesn't have uh, a motivator, Right, right, right. No, this one's got a bad motivator. Droid. Yeah, oh, so yeah. that's that was one of the hallmarks of the droids is independent mobility. Right. The other one being uh, basic sentience. Um, they've got some form of sentience programmed into their heuristic processors. Um, be they simple labor droids or eloquent and brilliant protocol and medical droids, they all have the ability to process information, interpret it, and make judgments based on that information. That's really what a droid is. I mean, mobility is nice. And, and it certainly is another step for that. But there are droid brains that you can put into nav computers. There are droid brains you can put into starships. And arguably you could say, well, the starship is its body, but not really. It's, it's a droid sentient computer that's able to do things with either itself or whatever it's interfaced with. That's really what a droid is. Right. And, I mean, I see monotask chassis. I see labor directives. I see droid immediately. But... That's just yeah. me, right? Yeah, I know it can't move around on its own, or it doesn't sound like it can move around on its own, but... It doesn't sound like it. Yeah. But it, even it, if it was a mouse droid, it still wouldn't feel game-breaking to me. That doesn't no. feel like uh, what he wants to do is going to really overpower either the PC's own slicing abilities or their their sort of its ability to outslice the slicer PC. Right. Right. 
so now, I guess here's the other thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as like what it's going to cost, you know, it, according to the book, it costs 24 hours to make. That's 24 work hours, not like a day. Right. As in, you need to spend a full 24 hours of work to build it. So maybe you build it eight hours a day for the next three days. Um, it's 600 credits for a monotask chassis. And sure, you could crank all these things out, but you also have to realize that he has to, if he's making these simple droids, that means he has to direct them. He has to instruct them what to do. High so, leadership skills. Start investing now. Right. Or, and, and ultimately, he's just getting like a thing that gives him a boost die. That's it. Right, it's like, it's he's paying for it. Yeah, and and I don't I, I'm with Keith. I don't find it game breaking. If you want to treat it as a piece of equipment, I don't I, I don't think I'd really have a big problem with it. But it's just a piece of blue. I mean, it's going to give you a blue die. Now right. here's the other thing. This is a droid. <laughs> Droids have a personality. Yeah, Indeed. that's the thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> have fun with those. Absolutely. Give the droid a unique personality. <laughs> Or a unique obsession of things it's like looking for information on while it slices that is not helpful in any way to the party, right? Like maybe he's ex- uh, obsessed with like uh, 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 one of the musicians from Jabba's Palace or something. And he's like, oh, my God, so-and-so, you know, uh, they're on tour and they're on the planet. And we have to – we d- like R2 was – finding uh, Princess Leia on the Death Star, right? And that right. really wasn't what they were looking for at it's all. It's a rare deep cut from the Max Rebo band. Like, we have <laughs> so, to see it, you guys. Well, <laughs> it, it, so it, when he's rolling his check, isn't it isn't it, uh, isn't it Thread or something that introduces the idea of a quirk? Yep. And so, <laughs> do it. Yep. But if you wanted to make it equipment, like, it, I mean, it really depends on what the PC wants, like... Yeah. I would let them get away with this either way, honestly. Yeah. But yeah, but don't let it get out of hand, right? You're right. right. You're right in not letting it get out of hand. He's not going to have And if this has no locomotion whatsoever, you're not going to have an army of these things because he right. can't he carry can them carry all. So many. Right. Yeah. Yep. You know, give it some encumbrance so he, he can't carry more than two. <laughs> right. Uh so somebody asked a previous question, the name of the uh uh quartermaster I was talking about, the Jedi quartermaster. Yeah, and it's very difficult to pronounce, but it's uh, uh it's L apostrophe L, uh, so it's L L La Cielo Sagion S A G E O N, and uh, uh, yeah, it's actually uh, uh, it was named for Daniel Wallace and Abel Pena, sort of uh, tend to, to name characters after each other. They're guys who do a lot of those essential guides and stuff. So it was just like name drop somewhere. And at Fandom Comics, for whatever reason, we wrote up a whole profile. Oh, well. But, Very yeah. Very good. All right, GM J-Lady, we appreciate your question. How long has it been since you've heard that, Mr. Phil? All right. So, uh, next show is on the 23rd, and we are going to be interviewing uh, Sam Stewart about the rest of this book. So get your questions in, Gamer Nation. Head over to the D20 Radio forums or the Fantasy Flight Games forums in the Force and Destiny section. Post your questions up. We're only going to take them until next Wednesday. Then we've got to put them together, hand them off to Sam so that he can review them, make sure that he's got the answers all lined up for the show. Ah, yes. So you guys, uh, of course, become a member of the Gamer Nation. Go to d20radio.com slash forums, register, post your mind, leave us a liner, call us 262 262- D20 Radio 262-320-7234 and of course take a look at 
Keith's Patreon Adventure Writing Academy. This is www.patreon.com slash Adventure Writing Academy. Which yes, he has. Please. Yes, yes, yes. You were. <laughs> I know you were about to get to it if I didn't. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you've been you've been doing this for what six months or so? Oh, or? this is actually a new project. So I have my Patreon, which I've been doing for like two years now. Which also go check that out. That's just Patreon.com/slash KR um, So feel free to check that out. But this is a new thing. I'm I'm partnered up with a friend of mine that I went to college with. Uh, named Maggie Ritchie, and she's uh, 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 able to teach in the same way that I learned how to write. And so the idea is we've constructed a series of 11 courses where uh, you could come in and you could learn to write the same way I learned. In the very last class, we have gotten uh, Jay Little to agree to come in and teach uh, RPG uh, design for four hours to uh, our students. So That's cool. Yeah. All the writing is, it's got a sci-fi, fantasy, RPG writing slant to it. So Dude. it's a little pricey. There's very few slots available, but uh, go check it out if you want to break into this field and uh, uh, and see if it's for you. Dude, that's a little bit of awesome sauce right there. Yeah. You guys have uh, a little bit of time for post or are we uh, bumping up against it? I have all kinds of time. Like this I is lunchtime for me. A couple of minutes. minutes. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe we'll just maybe we'll just do it. You've been listening to the Order Sixty Six podcast, brought to you by Ethan Kinsey, GM Scott, Jeremy Bensley, Bert Ingley, Joshua Taylor, and William File. This podcast and related websites are not affiliated with Fantasy Flight Games, 20th Century Fox, Walt Disney Corporation, or Lucasfilm Limited. And its content is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. All original content is the intellectual property of the Order Sixty Six podcast and Gamer Nation LLC. can't fade it. I have to figure out how to fade these things on the Apple, but I'll figure out how to do it next time around. Oh, but yeah, I God, mean, I dude, I totally forgot I made a badass outro. <laughs> I, to- I, <laughs> I know, right? I totally forgot I used the actual Star Wars exit music. Yeah. Wow. Dude. Well done, sir. Dude, and the intro, I noticed because I never listened to the intro, because I never actually listened to the show, because I do the show. Um, We've got to figure out how to get that fixed on Chris's end so that we can hear the beds. Well, what I'm thinking, because you guys do so much of the show creation from a from a uh, standpoint of writing the show notes and doing all that stuff, that I probably should take back the production aspect of of what I did before, before I went mm-hmm. on hiatus, you know? Mm-hmm. True. 
because I, I think I've, I, I've got the biggest setup here. So I think, and, and also if we start to, uh, if we start to do video cast, I've got a hundred, a hundred, you know, I've got a hundred up and a hundred down on my, uh, yeah, on my fiber point. connection. So I should be able to handle three streams going at the same time. So cool. yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that's kind of where we're going to go, but, uh, I'm thinking I'm back. I'm back, but <laughs> man. So have we really talked about Genesis since? We no. we haven't really talked about this at all, right? Nope. And I I I still struggle with what we can and can't talk about. <laughs> yeah. So really... I can talk about anything because I wasn't involved in it in any way, shape, or form. Thanks. Appreciate that. Meanwhile, I was in the beta test, so. <laughs> yeah. So I will say, like the thing, the thing about Genesis, which is an unanswered question at this point, that I'm most curious about is. Uh, Will they have some sort of OGL for it for third-party producers? That is a great that is, question. That's like a game changer for me if they do. That is a that that is one of possibly of all the questions that is, is floating around. That's the one that I've seen the most. Right. Will there be some kind of open game license for Genesis? And, <sighs> and I mean, I could kind of see it go either way. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. I mean, open game license it doesn't preclude you from producing something that you give away. Right. right, you know, like uh, there's no way in hell I can produce my Tron that is using Genesis. <laughs> no, and even if it was OGL, I still would right. get killed by the people at Disney. But at so. least it's only one set of lawyers instead of two. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, something and like Bethesda that. Bethesda would be all over my ass about a Fallout. Fallout, theme, right, yeah. right, right, exactly. So, but I mean, on the other hand, I run this Patreon thing where I write original settings and stuff, and it would yep. be great for me. And it would be yeah. great for me. Oh yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I could genericize Tron and make it a sci-fi fantasy, you know, man inside a computer. But hell, you know, it's it's way better to go with the actual light cycles and do and the thing. Yeah, Kevin Flynn and Sam Flynn. You know, I mean, you you write them in. Anyway, Levin Quinn and. Tam. They're likely to announce that uh, the Tomorrowland Speedway at Walt Disney World is going to get replaced with Tron Cycle ride I, that they've got in Shanghai. That's I thought so. that was official, no? Um, there's like five different people who have independently confirmed it, but they're probably going to officially announce it at the D23 convention, I think, is this weekend. Wow. Oh, right on. Wow. So it, it's it's all but confirmed at this point, and right. they expect to have it built by 20. Yeah, I still can't believe that they pulled the plug on the on what was going to be the sequel to the Sam Flynn one. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe maybe if there's like enough of a revitalization of Tron, maybe they'll put that back maybe. on the table or something. I don't know. Maybe I, I if they if they did and it messes up my my idea for is the, the the setting the setting for Tron for 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 my game thing whatever for Genesis. Is that the is that it progresses into the future, right? So, Sam went in. You know, yes, his father his father basically killed himself by killing Clue, but the grid has gone on. What in what was intended to be free, because Sam, of course, maintained his father's uh, attitudes toward things being free. What, of course, was meant to be free has been corrupted, and so the grid is now the biggest battleground anywhere as people try to control nice. it right so this nice. adds the the complexity to it but uh yeah it's going to be um i kind of like where it's going but uh you know of course uh one of the guys on the d20 radio site well actually i talked about this last time graphic artist he's going to do some work and it's really really eh, awesome i'm excited it's awesome it's it's exciting it's exciting stuff it's wonderful 
but yeah. I, Genesis as a whole is exciting. I'm curious to see uh, uh, what other releases they, they pile on under that sort of banner. I'm curious to see when it is we're going to get a podcast on the network de- dedicated to that. <laughs> Probably as soon as we get an idea when the release is. Well, I mean, at yeah. this you know here at this stage of the game, you know we 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 were in as involved now as we are with Genesis as we were then with with the then to be released Star Wars. We knew the beta was coming out at Gen Con, even though nobody else did. We knew you know certain aspects of the game. We didn't know as much as we knew about Genesis at this point, but we knew where it was going, and we had already. You know, we'd already talked about what the show was going to be, and we were able to launch almost immediately after getting that beta in our hands. I would think that a show really would want well, Again, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, comparing it to this one, where it's like a two-hour show, but I suppose you we, uh, a, a show could start if you do it like, you know, 15, 20 minutes, a half hour, a, a nice short little podcast, and then as more information gets released, the podcast could start to grow and evolve. Oh yeah. Well, and, and especially uh, if you did have third-party support, then they would have no shortage of things to talk about. Oh yeah, Div- you have different be writers. Like some new fan content out every week. Well, yeah, absolutely. You you bring Keith on with his, you know, fantasy setting steampunk, you know, module or what out whatnot, you know, and then somebody else has somebody. Them. And it's he, uh, sir, it's lady knights flying owlbears fighting were creatures. There, okay, is. there you go, there, there you go. go. See, you know that, yeah. Exactly. Whereas, you know, my, mine's going after Tron is going to be a bunch of elementals, but, uh, you know, it, it, it is what it is, but, uh, mechanically there's only so far you can go because it is meant to be a primer, if you will, but still there's, there's lots of meat you can dive into with that thing to set the stage. But I think that's only good for 20, 25 episodes, maybe at, at half an hour, 45 minutes a piece. And then after that, you've got to start getting into user-generated content and and modules and things that are being produced. Unless FFG in the game. starts releasing, I mean, I'm I'm saying this knowing nothing, but I mean, they they own a lot of IPs over there that they could easily port into that with minimal effort, even if it's a one-off book. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Yep. Oh yeah. Uh, Phil, you had mentioned uh, Gen Con. They have a game that's it's in one of their settings, right? Yeah. Runebound. Yeah. So is, so that would uh, suggest. I mean, it doesn't mean that's what's going to happen, but it would suggest that. There might be more content for that setting that they do in the future. It's possible. Potentially. I think a Genesis devoted podcast is highly likely. I think it's, it's highly inevitable. likely. I think it's coming. I think it's going to be something that's going to start as kind of like a, a special edition or like a you know, once a month podcast or something. And then it's as more material grows or as more user content is generated, I think it could grow, could grow into something pretty huge. Right. I believe you're right. Could be fun. Could be a lot of fun. Twould be. Twould be. And I'm I'm very curious how they're going to handle. You guys may know more about this than I do and can't talk about it. But I'm very curious how they'll handle. Because uh, the force die doesn't seem included with. Uh, uh, it's not. It's not. not and, and there's not like a replacement die that's unfamiliar to me in that package that I saw either. Nope. Uh, so I'm curious how or how they'll handle magic, or magic. if it's going to be a a very or, or whatever else there is that's extra to a setting I, outside of skills. Right? I have a feeling that that'll get you in trouble, Phil. I, I have a huge feeling that'll get me in trouble. <laughs> but uh, I'm very curious about how they so, how they intend to handle that in a way that's not 
clearly just a force that I reskinned or whatever, or yeah, exactly. if they have a different approach or what. Yep. All I'll say is, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be super. <laughs> it will be. But to be fair, to be fair, we really only have to wait a month. Yeah, you because have to yeah. Figure that, like I said, Runebound. There, it's a fantasy setting. There's magic in it. We know there's magic in it. Right. They have to have the example of how magic is going to work, at least and in the fantasy setting. Whoever they bring uh, from uh, editorial, I, hopefully Sam. I will corner him somewhere, probably with a sharp object, and <laughs> make him at least promise to let me third party some stuff for it. So, but I, I'll, I want an answer. I want an answer to that question like now. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. It's just not out there yet. But uh, I'm very curious how they're going to approach. You that. never know. It, it might be part of the the in-flight report. It, it might, you know, who knows? I, I obviously That's one thing I'm sad about because I, I've, I've blocked my I've blocked my weekend uh, my week at Gen Con so that. I'm I'm working through the in-flight report, but I did free up the uh, space so I could go see the 30 years of Star Wars gaming. Did you guys have you guys talked about that on the show yet? Star Wars no, Man? we have not. I was probably going to talk about it next time because Sam's here. Oh, right. fair, yeah, yeah, he'll be on it. But they just the had show. an extra giant mega super guest added to that lineup, Pablo Hidalgo. Right, like holy shit, how did that happen? Uh, right. That's awesome, though. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see that panel. And Bill Slavic is going to be on the panel. It's also awesome. I don't know if I've said this on on the show before, but the first thing I ever did in the world of RPGs was uh, write a lengthy email to Bill Slavic uh, regarding what I thought the new West End games, you know, moving over to WotC RPG should be like. (laughs) And, uh, um, yeah, he he, uh, wrote me back a very polite email that said, like, uh, it didn't say this, but it basically said I didn't read any of that because you're coming off like a stark raving mad psychopath. <laughs> but here, why don't you play? T- it was something like you seem very passionate about this project. Why don't you play test it? Which is very nice of him. Nice, because he could have blacklisted me from for life from the, the entire world of RPGs. But oh, we could have. I was young and dumb, and that's what I did, and it worked out. <laughs> so he's a nice man. I've never had uh, uh, the ability to say thank you to in person before, so I look forward to that. Looking forward to it. Should be a good time. Uh, well, gentlemen, it is after eleven o'clock my end, and I unfortunately am teaching classes all this week at my work. So sounds I like sh- a problem Spider-Man would have. It is. It is. I unfortunately need to get rolling. Spider-Man, huh? Spider-Man: mm-hmm. Homecoming. It was good. I liked it a lot. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't had a chance to. You should. Oh, I'm going to. I just need to find the time. There you go. All right. Well, uh, Mr. Keith, we appreciate. Um, you coming on and uh you know there's there's one of the things that um that uh that we forgot to do right yes it is um and uh and and it just comes from not having hosted the show so uh with that we will say peace love and good gaming and keep those dice rolling and may the force and may the dice be with you